It's May 2nd, 2006, and you're listening to the NACOcast, coming to you from Canada's National Arts Centre here in Ottawa. This is bassoonist Christopher Millard. Well, when I was in music school, the usual academics had to do with, uh, let's see, Shankarian analysis, serialism, dodecaphonic music, carnatic modes, you know, a lot of big multisyllabic words. It was uh, always a challenge, musicology. But I did pretty well, and I even enjoyed a lot of it, including uh, species counterpoint and even keyboard harmony. Well... I didn't really realize until I got into the business that there was a whole other category of multisyllabic words that I was going to have to get familiar with. Here are a few of them. Carpal tunnel syndrome, tendonitis, bursitis, tendinosis. Here's one, thoracic outlet syndrome. How about temporomandibular joint disorder? Whoa, well, this week's NACOcast, we're going to be talking about pain. That's it. Pain for musicians. Repetitive strain injuries. It's a natural part of being in a symphony orchestra. All the hours that are spent every day, in and out, week after week, year after year, of twisting our bodies into rather contorted positions. Have you ever tried picking up a violin? It's a real test of one's ability to find balance and physical health while repeating over and over for a lifetime some very strange positions. I want to thank NACOcast listener Ken McKinley from Ottawa for asking about uh, this subject of playing problems with musicians. So one of the very beautiful and stylish new NACOcast coffee mugs is going out to you, Ken. Thanks very much. To help me uh, figure out this problem, illuminate the situation. We've invited into the NACOcast studio today four members of the NAC Orchestra. Susan Roop, violinist. Nancy Sturdivant, violist. We have Associate Principal Double Bass, Marjolaine Laroche, and Principal Oboist, Chip Heyman. Welcome, everybody. So, Marjolaine, there are very few double basses who get through their whole career without dealing with lots of physical issues. Tell me about your experiences. You know, you need strength to just carry this this large uh, instrument around. We all have problems, and we all have our, we pass around the solutions. Oh, you should try this guy or that guy, or massage, or this, or these pills, or this uh, ointment, or or whatever. But, um, yeah, it's a given when you play the bass, and when you're a girl especially, I'd say, that you're going to have problems, especially when you're growing up and you're growing into the bass. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was 14, I wasn't the same height as, as I am now. And my shoulders weren't as broad. My hands weren't as broad either. So I had a lot of problems growing up, figuring it out. That's one thing, just the, pre- the prehensile thing, you know, mm-hmm. just holding the neck, holding the bow that's so heavy. It's 140 grams. I don't know how much, how many grams a violin bow is, but us, it's... And now the, the trend is for even heavier bows. So uh, for sure, you have to develop strength. And for a girl even though many women now are very strong, um, you also have to develop that kind of strength of judo. You know, like uh, the little guy picking up the big guy and flipping him? It's not strength. That's throwing your, your weight around. And that's what I do to make a big sound. 
But at first, you press on the string and you force and and you learn it that way, unfortunately. And you learn, you think that repeating is going to uh, make you better. So you have to learn. I learned very late in life techniques to practice um, without repeating all the time or repeating only when I had to, repeating at the right speed. You know, all these little things that you have to learn. Are we talking about left arm problems, shoulder problems, wrist problems? Where do the where does the issue get focused for a double bass player and why? This is what happens. You you want to make a nice big solid sound. You just do whatever you have to, to to make that sound. And what happens is that like my last injury caused by playing was that I was pulling my arm uh, my right arm, my bow arm slowly but surely by repetition out of its socket. Mm-hmm. It was out of the socket. It was coming out because I was reaching over the strings, making a big sound, applying pressure, and my whole body was adapting to that. And so it was completely unnatural. And of course, when you're young, you're everything's very resilient, and you you flop back into place. But now I'm 40, and I couldn't do that anymore, and I was in a lot of pain. The other thing is that I'm playing, or I was playing the French bow, which means that you hold up the the bow. And at the same time, you're pressing it down. I'm just going to interrupt you there just mm-hmm. so that our listeners understand the difference between French bow and German bow. The French bow is held the same way the cello bow is, is held. It's, it's, the bass bow is much bigger, but that's how we hold the French bow. Mm-hmm. The German bow is hold like a, you hold it like a gamba bow or um, you hold it in the palm of your hand. So it's mm-hmm. resting in your hand. It's much more natural. You don't have to reach so far in front of yourself either. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's very natural. The other thing is that if I was only playing the bass a few hours a week, it would be fine. But because we sit and we repeat and we rehearse and not always for the same repertoire and we don't really have very good chairs to sit on, we don't have backs and things like that, well, then everything is multiplied and you don't have time to recover. And while you're, you're, you should be recovering from what you just played or what you are playing this week, you're preparing for next week. So in a way, uh, when uh, they talk about uh, scheduling things and making things better, you don't really have recovering time. You have, I count my recovery in inches of music on my, on my stand. <laughs> I just had an injury, though, that caused me to re-educate myself, and, that, and I'm very thankful for it because I really fixed a lot of things that Inter- way. Interesting. Yeah. Nancy Sturdivant, you're a violist and a slightly different set of problems, but I want you to take up on, on what Marjolaine just talked about, which is the issue of repetition of passages. I would imagine that it's a big problem for a musician to have a difficult passage that, that is really not revealing itself quickly, and you're having to do it over and over again, and that repetition of a very specific action must end up being physically challenging. The repetition itself, I don't think, creates the problem. The problem that we're continually dealing with is the length of the instrument. And we don't have, we don't have kind of the advantage of being able to, I, I think, with uh, kind of curling the instrument to you using the bicep, which is uh, a very strong muscle, we're extended. And there's nothing in it, it just in the fact of, of holding it out that's a difficulty, and that is something that we're always dealing with. The tendency now for orchestral players is to go, thank heavens, to smaller instruments. For When I was in school, and um, it's the big instrument. You have to get a big, huge, you know, 17-and-a-half-inch instrument, you know, to get a big sound until somebody finally figured out, well, no, you can take a, a fine-quality small instrument and... and, some, and, and, and uh, 
uh, luthiers are, are building, building some of these small instruments. I have one. Mm-hmm. And then be very, very careful and very, very thoughtful with your um, approach to the bow so that you are using gravity instead of instead of pushing in you are kind of melting in, into the instrument, sinking into the instrument, and approaching it that way and using a small instrument. And, and this type of thing is going to, in the long run, help a great deal. It, it has helped me immeasurably. So with us, I don't think it is the repetition. I think it is just keeping the thing in the air for the amount of time that you have to in order to you know do, do your work do a passage or, or, or perform. I think for us, it, if we have a very long piece or like there's an opera or ballet where you have like about seven measures rest in the entire production, it is possibly a little more hard on us than some of the instruments simply because you have to keep your arm up for that amount of time. There's no resting it just because it's long, it's longer. And it's uh, physically unnatural. It looks unnatural and it feels unnatural. So that's just, you know, what we deal with. But mind you, the benefits of the viola are exquisitely, you know, overbalancing this other. (laughs) Susan Roop, as a violinist, you're dealing with holding the lightest of the string instruments and yet talk about a physical challenge, wrapping yourself into that position for hours a day. Do you think that kids in school are being taught today in an, in any better way about how to deal with the physical challenges of playing the violin? I certainly hope they are. I think that's really crucial for education, music education. Teachers, right from the very beginning, need to um, be sort of ergonomically aware of how they set up their students and just to be diligent in checking all the time and teaching them how to play with good posture and relaxed and uh, perhaps even scheduling in the last few minutes of um, practice should be a stretching, a series of stretches. And certainly the teachers should be aware of uh, where the problem areas are particular to that instrument and then they can uh, um, teach, teach their students um, correct exercises, correct technique. If there's any if they see any problem right away, then they should direct them to a physiotherapist or so forth. What kind of uh, issues have you had in your plane, and what have th- what has dealing with those issues taught you about your own regimen of practice and preparation? As far as preparation, the more preparation I can do that is uh, listening and uh, sort of uh, mental preparation Mm -hmm. so that I can be really efficient with the time I spend with my instrument because I certainly don't want to um, increase any problems with uh, repetitive stress syndrome. So uh, I try to do as much um, sort of mental preparation as I can and always uh, consider the last 15 minutes, 10 to 15 minutes of my practice is devoted to the stretches to relieve the tension or any kind of pain. Give me an example of of what kind of problem you would address with what kind of uh, warm-up or stretching exercise. Um, For violinists, uh, neck and shoulder tend to be a a pretty standard Mm -hmm. thing that we visit from time to time. So um, I certainly start by just uh, stretching out, but I don't spend a lot of time stretching out beforehand because uh, I think that uh, the stretching out is is more beneficial at the end. And certainly I I do some very specific neck exercises that I've been taught by physiotherapists, Um, things related to posture and strength and stretching. Nancy Sturdivant, 
one of the things that a book can't explain to you is to talk about the actual physical setup of instruments. Now, I know for violins and violas, the design of the chin rest, the design of the shoulder rest, becomes important for each individual. Can you talk a little bit about those challenges? The shoulder rest elevates the the body of the viola under the chin so that you don't yes. have to squish your neck and your chin mm-hmm. down quite as much. Mm-hmm. So obviously that's a very particular thing according to the length of one's neck and the you know the shape of one's shoulder. That's the exact issue, and that's the issue that many, many people do not address. A lot of people have theories about, you know, shoulder rests or not, but it does boil down to the length of somebody's neck. Does that mean that a a teacher will tend to bring a preconceived notion about exactly what should be used and apply it to each student without enough attention to the variety of physiognomy? I've seen that very, very often. Mm -hmm. Um, You have to be very, very careful as a teacher not to impose your idiosyncrasies on your your students. A a very short violist, a a teacher, imposing what they do physically on the instrument with somebody, you know, the six foot three, and I've seen this happen, and I've seen it done this way, is is asking for a lot of trouble. And shoulder rest is, is a very big, that's a very, very big issue because if it's, if it's too high, you're going to fo- force your left shoulder down, which causes a lot of tension problems. If it's too small, you are bending, you tend to uh, bend your head to the left, raise your shoulder, which is what I did for years. And um, what, what that, it causes a type of tension that brings your technique to its knees. <laughs> and it takes years to undo that. And you can play with an elevated shoulder your entire career and not catch it because you don't realize that they say, oh man, it's pretty sore in that. I can't, that passage, it, I'm too slow. All you have to do is raise that shoulder a quarter of an inch, and you're in big trouble. It's really extraordinary how the tiny adjustments for each individual become so critical to their to their personal health. Chip Heyman, the uh, problems are not confined to string players. Now, you play a very exotic instrument, the oboe, but I know that uh, some of the things that these your colleagues have been talking about here apply just as equally to wind players. Oh, I think definitely. One thing it's really important to understand is that the body is a series of systems and playing a musical instrument or singing for that matter involves engaging all of these different systems together but it also i think is an issue of understanding how the individual systems work for wind players and for oboe players specifically um, we have a, a number of different issues we have first and foremost is the breathing system which is an issue of uh, cardiovascular health involves moving the air through the instrument to get it to get it moving to get the the sound vibrating so our breathing system has to work then we also have the embouchure in other words the part of your body that makes contact with the instrument for a flute player that's that's the lips for the oboe bassoon clarinet and so on it's the lips on the reed then we have um, the arms and hands uh, which are responsible for technique sort of like what the string players do except that it's more like the left hand for the string player because the motion is a small motion, and yet it's connected to the elbow, shoulder, and ultimately the neck, which supplies the nerves. Well, let's talk about what, what is hurting. What tends to be the, the hurting places for the elbow player? <laughs> Shoulders, neck? I think it's really unique to each individual. I think a lot of oboe players have issues with their right arm 
because the weight of the instrument is supported entirely at the end of the right thumb. This is common to this is common to clarinetists exactly. as well. Right. And the instrument is um, surprisingly heavy after a number of hours weighing on that thumb. So many oboe players have issues with the mobility of those fingers of the right hand because not only are you supporting, but you also have to have some agility to move around. And when you complicate the fact that often when we play in the low register, we have trouble playing softly because it's not idiomatic to our instrument. Um, playing softly in the low register on the oboe is a bit like playing softly in the high register for the trumpet. And how does, the that, challenge. How, what, how does that challenge translate into physical problem? Well, what happens is it takes a certain kind of balancing of those physical systems I was talking about in order to play well softly in the low register. Does that mean you need more abdominal muscle work? I think it's a combination of several different factors. You have to have very solid support and a certain kind of support coming from those abdominal muscles and the, the back in order to, to be confident about making an entry quietly, for example, which is something oboe players have to do all the time. Is there a problem of repetitive strain on the breathing apparatus? That's an interesting question. Because uh, one normally does not associate the diaphragm and the large abdominal muscle groups as being areas of the body that are subject to repetitive strain injury. Would you agree with that? I think what ends up happening is that ancillary muscles... Uh, which are involved in breathing, end up being strained because you're doing something that is an exaggeration of what we normally do. Uh, everybody breathes. Everybody breathes naturally without having to think about it. Um, but, but fortunately, we don't normally have to put a, a splint on our abdominal muscles to get ourselves through the day. So I'm presuming that the abdominal muscle group is not something that ends up being the primary source of symptoms for a wind player. Certainly not in terms of symptoms. But you have to understand that the back works just as much in the breathing uh, as the abdominal muscles. And that whole part of the body is commonly known now today in fitness circles as the core Mm -hmm. or the powerhouse. And um, that's why techniques like Pilates and yoga and some of these other things are very helpful because they help you to understand how those parts of the body work together. So I may not have a problem with my abdominals, but if I've got a weakness in my low back, that plays into how my whole breathing setup works. And there can be times when I'm feeling like I'm not getting as deep a breath as I normally do, and I'm scratching my head trying to figure out why. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I'll go to my physiotherapist, whom I trust, and I'll discover that there's an issue with my low back, and that's playing into the breathing. And when, when our neuromuscular issues are dealt with, it's amazing how the whole system works. So I do think that the central nervous system is something that all musicians have to get get their heads around. They have to understand how that works and how all of our different body parts connect to the central nervous system, whether it's your arm, your finger, your toe. <laughs> I think all of us in the room need to join in a chorus in B-flat of the knee bones connected to that. Yeah. <laughs> it's really true. Marjolaine, what have you done in terms of ongoing uh, physical intervention from therapists? It depends on the injury, of course. But uh, the last injury I had, I saw only a physiotherapist. Mm -hmm. And I followed the instructions I got to the letter. Uh, I I also make sure that I'm I'm in in shape to play. Um, I've seen chiropractors and massage therapists, Chinese rolling duina therapists. Um, Say again. <laughs> the rolling duina. 
Oh, yes. And, I'm and sure we all know about that. The subtext is no pain, no gain. <laughs> it's extremely painful okay. and not necessarily always useful. Okay. Um, there are some pretty far-out approaches to yeah. body therapy. However, you know, the, the thing is that when we get hurt, like the, my last injury was I could resume it to half an inch, half an inch by half an inch. It was that big, and I couldn't do anything. I couldn't play. I couldn't write. I couldn't do anything. Uh-huh. So as a professional musician, you get injured and you become nobody. You're nothing. You're nobody. Yeah. And so you're going to try anything. Name it. Rolling tweener, sure. Uh, anything. An yeah. operation, sure. Yeah. This cream, $500 a bottle, sure, I'll do it. Because yeah. you feel like you lose. You're, you're nobody. Yeah. And uh, if anybody who's been in that situation will understand. You're desperate to regain yourself. The first day I got off, I thought, this is cool. And I watched all the soaps. And the second day, I did the, the crossword puzzle with my left hand. And the third day, I wanted to go back to work. Mm-hmm. You know, it's because I, f- I felt like I, I had nothing to give. Nothing. Because that's my only formation as a musician. Your personal identity is so caught up in, in the whole body and its application to the creation of music. You know, when I die, I'm certain my last thought isn't going to be, I wish I had played more scales. I wish I'd played another concert with, you know, no, that's, it's wrong. It is wrong. But uh, still, that's how we live. And if we didn't live that way, we wouldn't practice. Because that's, that's where I'm, I'm thinking, is that you have to practice to be able to play. And you can practice for hours by yourself, and that's fine. That's great. And often it doesn't hurt. But when you have to play in front of your colleagues, and you have your section leader, and then you have the, con- the conductor who's, who's glaring at you, and you still have to play, and then there's the audience, that's a whole other level of, of tension. There's the natural tension of playing the viola, which is awkward, and the bass, which is big, and the oboe, where the, the hole you have to blow into is like the size of a, the, the head of a, a pin, I think. I'm, I'm glad to say I've never tried it. But, but then you take that, and you, then you, they, you, you have to perform and at, at another level with people listening. and wa- You see, the secretary or the, the office person who has something with their wrists from typing too much, they can lean back and they can shake their hands about and go, oh, okay, I'm going to do something else now. Me, I can't do that. On the other hand, they still have to get the job done. And, they have and to get the job done. They're under the similar kinds of stresses in terms yeah. of their responsibility. But Except their boss isn't sitting on their shoulder staring them down. Well, we hope Every not. Minute. We hope not. No. But I think I think of the. Do you, do you understand? Uh, what I, I do, but I, I'm also sympathetic to the supermarket cashier mm-hmm. whose boss is looking from the wicket yeah. down down and, and making sure that the customers are getting through. So, you know, I I, I do think that you make a, a good point about the extra tensions of of the performing environment. But uh, I think that we share f- physical challenges with with people in a number of work work workplaces. Yeah. I think that ours is just so much m- more. Um, caught up in in personal identity and perhaps it takes the the it, we exacerbate problems for, for ourselves because of that that issue okay. susan Rupp, when you first started to play the violin did you start with a one quarter size violin and as you grew older do you feel that there was a natural evolution of your physique and the way you carried yourself as you grew and as the violins grew I did start with a quarter-size violin. I got it for my eighth birthday, and uh, 
It was an interesting time. It didn't sound as good as the piano. I was uh, I had played the piano for several years before that, and uh, you know when you sit down at the piano, there it is. And you don't start with a small piano either, but it it always sounds beautiful. But uh, can you remember the moment when you moved up one size violin and what it was like for you? I don't remember the transition from quarter to half size, but I do remember receiving my first uh, full size violin, and I was thrilled. Actually, it was. Was, it, was your body thrilled? Probably not. I don't really remember that. But on the other hand, you were young enough that the the soft tissues were regenerating so beautifully that you could get away with things that you couldn't know? (laughs) Probably, and probably I wasn't practicing that long either when I was uh, (laughs) 10 or 12 whenever I got my first... uh, It's really worth addressing the fact that you can get away with things when you're 15 that you can't get away with when you're 45 or 55. Absolutely. So as you have aged and as you've gained an experience... What kinds of holistic approaches, I'm not just talking about the stretching that you referred to earlier, mm-hmm. but in, in, in terms of your daily activities and in your overall approach to personal health, what kinds of approaches have you taken that have been largely focused and beneficial for your violin playing? Something that just uh, frees the body and the mind, uh, something to take you out of yourself and mm-hmm. uh, just get some fresh air and, and exercise. For me, that's... Uh, really crucial and the times that we get so busy that I feel I don't have time to do that I really uh, I feel I feel the lack of it Chip Heyman you have investigated uh, some of the more well-known personal personal physical regimes Alexander technique Pilates talk to me about about what you've done there both of these techniques uh, focus the mind and the body they involve increasing awareness of how our bodies work, how they move, what their tendencies are. Pilates is a much more fitness-oriented technique. Um, It's an integral part of the fitness world and has been for at least five, seven years now. Now, Alexander Technique is a little different. Alexander Technique um, was developed by an actor who developed vocal problems and felt that there were certain issues he could use to deal with inefficiency. So, Um, Many people use Alexander in the artistic community, everything from singers and actors to musicians. And Alexander really is a mental technique, I would say, above all. It involves, again, understanding alignment, understanding the mechanics of how the body works in space. And I think that really Alexander works well when it's combined with other kinds of physical work so that you're not only are you dealing with the physical problem, whatever that may be, if it's a you know a muscular issue or a joint issue, but then you're also <clears throat> learning better about how our bodies work so that we can apply that not only to playing an instrument, but to how we move in our lives in general. Because one thing that's important is that in our daily lives, sometimes we're not aware of how a, a, a particular activity is contributing to an injury or contributing to stress. And there are certain muscular issues I deal with that are separate from playing, but they're just as much a part of what I do. So I had to get my head around all of that at a certain point and understand why maybe 10 hours of making reads contributes to physical stress in a way that I didn't even realize. Mm-hmm. So, Susan, I want to close by asking you, how the heck in the next generation are we going to, in a systematic way, affect long-term changes in the physical health of young musicians? Well, Chris, um, I think it, there's a new trend in music education to um, teach students who are serious about becoming uh, professional musicians to take care of their bodies, to become acquainted with 
um, the anatomy and all the various components, uh, the ligaments, the tendons, the bones, and so forth that are involved in there in their playing their instrument. And uh, I hope that uh, it just becomes uh, standard across um, music universities, conservatories, academies, that uh, becomes compulsory for students to learn proactive measures to to take care of their bodies and and to learn how to deal with injuries and, and basically to prevent them before they happen. Well, certainly, you are all good examples of dealing dealing with problems and finding solutions. The solutions are out there, and uh, the end result are, is a group of happier players. So I want to thank you all for coming in today, and I hope that our audience will, uh, will eye you all with a little bit more tenderness as they s- see these awkward things that you have to play in hours a day and understand that it's a real challenge uh, coping with these on a daily basis. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you, Chip, Marshall, and Susan. Thank you very much. Listen to the NACOcast for a chance to win an iPod Nano preloaded with recent NAC Orchestra CDs and past episodes of the NACOcast. During the month of May, we'll ask a question that can be answered by listening to an earlier NACOcast episode. Subscribe to the NACOcast to ensure you don't miss the question and your chance to win. You can find instructions on subscribing at nac.ca slash podcast. And of course, you can also find the NACOcast as a free subscription in the iTunes Music Store. Just search on NACOcast. That's N-A-C-O-C-A-S-T. So tune in to the NACOcast for a chance to win an iPod Nano preloaded with some wonderful music from Pinkus Zuckerman and Canada's National Arts Centre Orchestra. Don't forget, send us your questions and comments. If we read your feedback on the show, we'll send you a stylish NACOcast coffee mug. Send your email to nacocast at gmail.com. For the NAC Orchestra, this is Bassoonist. Christopher Millard. <laughs>